Okay, guys, grab your Bibles and uh, let's get to work. I um, I want to introduce you this morning, uh, first of all, to the um, to the two halves of the Bible. <clears throat> the two halves. Uh, you, of course, know that the Bible is arranged in two halves. Let me show you the first half. The first half of the Bible would be, um, hold on. The first half of the Bible would be this page and this page. That's the first half of the Bible. The second half of the Bible is all the rest. This is, this is the second half down here. And, and, and this is the first half of the Bible. And in between those two halves is a chapter. Genesis chapter 3. And without it, that is without understanding it, the second half, you'll never understand. What goes on, what takes place in Genesis 3 is a watershed. From there onward, everything changes. So you, you can understand, you know, maybe chapters one and two, and then you come to chapter three, and from that moment on, all the way to the end of the Bible, the story, the message that's contained in this second half has to do with the event that occurred in chapter three of the book of Genesis. Now, there is, however, a verse in chapter 2 of Genesis that you must understand before Genesis 3 will make any sense. So take a look real quick at Genesis chapter 2. Let me show you that, and then we'll get to our text. But you've got to understand Genesis 2.17 before you can unravel what's going on in Genesis 3. Look at it. Genesis 2.17. God is speaking and he says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, the word surely is not found in the Greek New Te- in the Hebrew text. You know the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The word surely is not found in there. But the translators of the Hebrew text looked at the text and, and, and what it says is this. In the day that ye eat thereof, dying, you will die. The Hebrew writer is trying to make a piece of emphasis. He's trying to emphasize the fact that if you disobey, you will die. And so he says, dying, you will die. Because if you do that, you're going to die. And so the English translators come up and say, well, let's put it like this. Uh, for in the day that you eat of it, You shall surely 
die. Now, if you don't see that, Genesis 3 is not going to make any sense. But we'll come back to Genesis 2.17 in the course of our four-week study of the book of the chapter Genesis 3. We'll look at it four weeks. It'll be interrupted, of course, by July the 4th and communion, but um, we'll start today. Now, all of that said to introduce you to my text. It is one verse. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God It endures forever. Ladies and gentlemen, Genesis chapter 3 is number one on the hit list. In terms of the skeptical world, the one chapter that the unbelieving world would love to discredit is is Genesis chapter 3. It contains stuff that is... um, um, I guess you could say it was hated, hated or maybe just opposed. I don't know. But it is the, um, it is the number one piece of biblical text that the non-Christian world would seek to um, eliminate and overthrow. Now, um, I want to help you understand it and enjoy it. And be pierced by it. But, you know, realizing that, <laughs> I mean, you know, that some of you are <laughs> not exactly the, you know, the brightest uh, people. You know, take a Floyd Harvey, for instance. I mean, you know, he didn't know when to get out of the rain. Um, you know, be, and, and you know, realizing that, you know, there's, uh, you know, the sharpest knives in the drawer. Uh, <clears throat> and, 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 and also understanding that Genesis 3 is about stuff like, um, Snakes and apples and, 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 and realizing and, and thinking that, 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 that this may confuse you just a little bit. Um, I, I thought that I had better start with another story. Um, another story that I, I, I'm just sure that you will find so much more enjoyable, so much more understandable because it's about sex. And knowing how much you all love sex, I realize that if, if, if I can help you understand this story about that, then it will help you understand the story that's contained in Genesis chapter 3. So, uh, in my never-ending effort at trying to help you understand, we're going to look at this other story first, so that it'll help you understand Genesis chapter 3. And now that I have your undivided attention, uh, the other story is found in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. It's a story about David and Bathsheba. You know that story. You know, David, the king, the big dude, the, uh, you know, the, 
the top dog in all of the Eastern world at that time. And um, he was supposed to be out fighting with his uh, with his armies on, on one occasion in the spring. That's when battles were fought, mostly in the spring. And, you know, it was cool enough for the war. And, and, and so um, you wouldn't want to get overheated when you're fighting. But so David was supposed to be out in the spring with his with his armies, but he wasn't. He stayed home because he's a little lazy. And um, and he was out one night, couldn't sleep. And and he was walking around on the roof of his house. Now, he's the king. And that means that his house is taller than the other houses in the neighborhood. So uh, he's on the top of his house and he is uh, roaming around the top on his roof uh, top. And he looks down at one of the other houses in the neighborhood and, and sees that there is a woman down there taking a bath. Well, at that point, he uh, sends some of his servants over to get her and and they bring her over to his house. And David, as you understand, impregnates her and uh, ultimately has her husband killed. Now, the storyline, and that's all you need to know about that story. But the the storyline is this. You've got a strong man, David. You got a weak man, Uriah the Hittite, who is Bathsheba's husband, who was basically nothing more than the uh, soldier in David's army. And then you've got a piece of desirable, forbidden fruit. You've got a, a forbidden thing, a weak man, and a strong man. That's the storyline in the, in the story of David and Bathsheba. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the same storyline that you find in Genesis chapter 3. Strong man, weak man, and a piece of a forbidden thing. And if you can understand that, strong man, weak man, forbidden fruit. If you can understand that, you can understand Genesis chapter 3. And right off the bat, we're introduced in verse 1 to the strong man. Diabolos. Lucifer. The devil. The accuser, Satan, he goes by lots of, lots of names. But it's those first three words that drives the unbelieving world batty. They're full of controversy, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, Newsweek magazine says that 25% of Americans, of Americans don't even believe that, that, that a personal devil exists. It's just a, it's just a symbol of, of evil. Right as the chapter opens, our culture cries foul. Um, our culture says, <coughs> wait, wait just a minute. There's way too much hocus pocus, uh, going on in this thing for, for me. I mean, uh, surely you don't expect me to believe in, in a, in a, in a, in a devil that was wandering around in some serpent. Snake. Don't ask me to believe that, that there is some being of, of consummate evil. Okay, I won't. But I can tell you this much, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus claims to have talked to him. 
So if you've got problems with his existence, you've got other problems with Jesus's existence. Matthew chapter four, Luke chapter four. The New Testament talks about him a lot. The strong man. In fact, the New Testament says that, that he masquerades as this, as this angel of light. Which may just mean that your denial of his existence means that you've already succumbed to his lies. Because he is the quintessential con artist. The fact that you deny his existence means that you've been sucker punched. He's a, he's a smart mouth. By the way, that's where your kids got theirs. He's a smart mouth and he's fooled you. He's already fooled you. Because you're thinking, I don't believe it. I don't believe in all that. You know, um, one of the books that you ought to read if you've not read it, it's, it's an easy read. It's, um, you've heard the name C.S. Lewis, of course, and, and I bet you've heard of this book, but if you haven't read Screwtape's Letters, I mean, really, it's, it's entertain, it's, it's far more entertaining than a John Grisham novel. So when you're headed to the beach for more skin cancer, um, take, uh, um, C.S. Lewis's, uh, um, Tape's Letters. And if you've never heard of it, let me tell you a little bit about it. Tape Letters, uh, C.S. Lewis writes this, this, this allegory, and, and, um, and screw tape is the devil. And screw tape has a nephew that lives up on earth and his name is Wormwood. Don't you love that name? Wormwood? Well, Wormwood has an assignment up on earth and his assignment is to make sure that a certain Englishman is ushered home safely to his father below. And so screw tape, the devil, writes letters to Wormwood, telling him, advising him as to how he might accomplish this um, this very uh, unseemly task, this sinister task. And uh, it, the screw tape just feeds lies to Wormwood, so that Wormwood can, in turn, feed those same lies to this Englishman. And here's one of the lies that screw tape says will really work with, with, you know, people. He says this, but the best of all is to let him read no science, but to give him a grand general idea that he knows it all. And that everything that he happens to have picked up in casual conversation and reading is the results of modern investigation. So Scootape says the, the best way to, to, you know, to sucker these people is to let them read no science at all. Don't let them read any of that. No. Just, just let them come to the conclusion that all of the little conversations that they have in the break room and around the 
coffee pot and, you know, in the locker room. That all of that is, is the result of modern investigation. <clears throat> just, let them, just, let them, just let them think that. You know, um, one sociologist suggests that belief in a personal devil is really a sociological matter. And he says the way that you can prove it is just simply by looking at the parking lot of a church. How about that? Let's all go take a look at our parking lot on a Sunday morning, of course. Because he says if the parking lot is filled with Mercedes and Lexuses and nice cars, you won't hear much talk about the devil. But if the parking lot is filled with pickup trucks and no beat up cars, you're, you're, you're gonna, you're, you're gonna hear a lot about the devil. So you, you see the suggestion, I hope. And, and the suggestion is that the more sophisticated you are, the less prone you are to, to, uh, to take seriously all of this business about the devil. This, this strong man. And the, and the more intelligent you consider yourself to be, the less likely you are to, to, um, to think that this is really to be taken seriously. And the strong man wins again. Because you got suckered. You know, guys, um, my favorite defense, my favorite defense concerning the existence of a personal devil is a line that I read out of a Martin Lloyd-Jones commentary 40 years ago. Martin Lloyd-Jones is one of my heroes. And Martin Lloyd-Jones says that the, that the reason that he believes in the devil is because he has to. And then he goes on to say, <clears throat> the reason that I believe in the devil is because I have to. Because without him, I have no other way to explain the, ex- the existence of such evil that I see all around me. I don't know how to explain it if there isn't a devil. All you got to do, ladies and gentlemen, is read the commercial appeal. This is yesterday's. And by the way, only one page, actually half of one page. You got over here, you got the... uh uh, the jury hears the case against the shooter whose pregnant girlfriend had, I mean, he had pointed a gun at her head. That's just one article, right? But this other one down here says, the frat spat leads to assault charges. A University of Memphis student accused of threats with a rifle and a gun. That's the second one. And then the third one down here, boy escapes jail time. For raping boy nine. That's the third one. And then we got a fourth one. 
The fourth one is defendant in online sex slang convicted. Oh, oh, there's a fifth one. Former security officer acquitted of student rape. One page, one day, half of a page, five articles. I don't know about the rest of you, ladies and gentlemen. But I don't have any way to explain that. Except by the existence of a personal devil. I believe in the devil because I have to. Because there is no other way to explain the evil that is among us. Encircling us. Amongst us. Except that there be the existence of a strong man who we've named the devil. You can call him what you want to. The existence of a personal devil. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't want you to miss this. Notice in the text it says... He was um, more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. That is, he's a creature. That is, Luther used to say it this way, the devil is God's devil. He's not some some force that is equal of, of the, to that of God's. He's a dependent created being but the one word that changes everything in this text ladies and gentlemen is the word now the serpent was more crafty some of your translations uses the word cunning cunning don't you love that word he's cunning He tricks you. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, there are some of you who are seated within the sound of my voice. Who have been suckered already. It's, it's that cunning that makes us know that we are dealing in Genesis 3 with something more than just a snake and an apple. This, this, this creature is one who wrecks, who wreaks so much havoc. Because he's cunning. He's so cunning. That we don't even know our own motivations for our wickedness. <clears throat> we think it's good for our marriage that we stand up for our rights. And the strong man suckered you. We think that, yeah, well, nobody's going to push me around. And the strong man. Suckered 
Guys, in this one text, in this one verse, we're told that Satan opens his mouth. And the moment he opens his mouth, he puts a question mark where God had put a period. And he says, did, did, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? I mean, did he really say that? I mean, you don't believe that he said that, do you? Can't you just hear it, ladies and gentlemen? It's all bound up in that little word, actually. Can't you just hear the sneer in his voice? Oh, I mean, really? You don't believe that, do you? I mean, he offers no evidence. He offers no arguments, no, no, no investigation. He simply comes to you even says, really? I mean, you're not so foolish as to believe that, are you? And that's what your friends do to you, ladies and gentlemen. They don't offer arguments. They don't offer proof. They just say, oh, you Christians. Oh, my goodness. You're so naive. You don't believe that, do you? I mean, my goodness. And just that, just that... It's enough to, to put the most of us on the run. Just the sneer. And with the sneer, Satan smuggles in the, 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 the idea or the, the suggestion or the assumption that you and I have the ability or, or even the right to stand in, in judgment of what God has said. I mean, you don't believe that God said that, do you? Because, as you well know, you're the one that must determine what it is and what it isn't that God has said. And the strong man wins again. You know, guys, um, the suggestion that Satan is making is that God is mean and that God is uncaring, that God has withheld from you. I mean, did God actually say that that you couldn't eat of any tree of the garden? And, and don't you hear it? It's the idea that God has somehow been unkind to you and mean to you and has, and has produced, he's this, he's this cosmic party pooper and he's somehow restricted all of that vaunted human freedom that we're supposed to have. I mean, did God really say something like that? Well, my, my, 
he said something like that, then surely he's not a God to be loved or trusted. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I said this already, but I'll say it again. That's how your friends deal with you. They don't offer proof. They don't offer debate. They don't offer argument. They don't even offer evidences. They offer a sneer. A sneer that that suggests that somehow God has been unkind to you. It's the sneer, it's it's designed to cast doubt or to, to sneak a piece of doubt into your, your heart and mind about God's goodness to you. Why? Why, I mean, he has, he has done that. Satan plants the seed that, that, that God is unreasonably strict and limiting. And, and also, he, he may just be guilty of <clears throat> being selfish, Godius, because he kept, he kept the best for himself. He doesn't want to share that with you. And some of you believe that. And you've been snookered. a strong man. It's all serpent theology, ladies and gentlemen. Satan is is crafty enough to place the emphasis on the one restriction that God has imposed rather than draw attention and rather than emphasize the great wonders and riches that God has provided. Don't miss that, ladies and gentlemen. Satan got Adam and Eve to concentrate on the one prohibition. The one tree that they were not to eat from. He he made them blind to the hundreds of exotic trees that, that lined the walkways of that luxuriant garden. Satan knew... That if he could get Eve to focus on the one thing that she didn't have. It would ruin her and rob her of her joy of all of the things that she did have. The one who comes to deceive charges God with deception. The one who can tell no truth charges God with lies. So it is today, ladies and gentlemen. Even as some believers, we're tempted to look at the world and wonder why we've been so shortchanged. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not just your teenagers who often think to themselves, Oh, if, if, if only I weren't a Christian... 
Just think of all the fun things that I could do. And the strong man wins again. While all these of my friends are enjoying all of these pleasures of sin, we poor Christian creatures that we stay at home and, and we gotta find our contentment with the limitless wonders of His matchless grace. Poor, poor, pitiful us. And so the sons of the King of the universe live much of their lives feeling sorry for themselves. And the strong man wins again. You know, uh, folks, I'm not much of a fan of um, country and western music. In fact, I used to be no fan at all. That was before Keith Urban. And um, I really kind of like Keith Urban. Um... But, you know, I, I shave in the mornings, and I have a radio that sits right next to me while I'm shaving, and I, and I have the little things fixed. And every now and then, um, every now and then I, um, I have it on Kicks 106. I'm sorry. It's true. But um, there was a song the other day that I was listening to, and, and I don't know the author. I didn't get it. Um... I don't even know the name of the song, but, you know, if you want to find it, it's pretty easy to find. You can Google it. But this this is the refrain of the song. If you play by the rules, you'll miss all the fun. And some of you believe that. And you think that the only way you're going to be happy is to go outside the boundaries of God's law? And you've been suckered. I can't tell you this, ladies and gentlemen. You come to the New Testament... And there's this interesting little story about Jesus being attacked by all the Pharisees and the scribes. And they accuse him of casting out demons. They said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. And Jesus replies like this. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house? And plunder his goods. Unless. He first. Binds. The strong man. Ladies and gentlemen. It is my exalted privilege to tell you. The strong man 
has been bound. Jesus Christ did that. And if you are ever to escape the cunning and the craftiness and the lies of the strong man, it will come only as you take refuge in Jesus Christ. Can you see his beauty? That is, Christ's beauty? If not, perhaps the reason you can't is because you've been suckered Our Father and our God, I pray that you will cause your people to see the great beauty of the gospel, the great beauty of Jesus Christ, the one who alone could bind the strong man on our behalf, the one who by his death and life we have been set free and are now no longer held in the clutches of the hater of our souls. Father, for we who are your children, for we who are your people, would you forgive us that we have bought partially into the lie that somehow we have been shortchanged by belonging to you. Forgive us that we have ever questioned the goodness of our Heavenly Father. Oh God, deliver us from the, the lies that have distorted us and open our eyes to see once again the great beauty of Christ and Him crucified. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name.